if they right. it does if you have it if you have the correct combos preloaded, like in whatever weird system that they're using that will just unleash the combo automatically as long as you keep hitting the button. Yeah. And then eventually you gain enough points to do some big like inner like some big uh you know, cutscene style god attack. Well, since we're talking about how video games have let us down in spite of letting us trying to make us feel like gods, I guess we're listening to the Big Bang Theory theory again. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. I'm just saying, I also played the new Final Fantasy VII, which I like more, although it is also bonkers in some of the design choices that it chooses to make. But, uh, like, when I'm playing that game tactically... It keeps insisting that there's a way to play it, like, that must make more sense. But what it feels like I'm doing is just toggling around between the different characters and mashing X until I've used up, until their abilities are in, like, cooldown, and then moving to the next person and doing it again. I think that is action RPG game design 101. And that's, <laughs> like, that's why um, the Final Fantasy XIV, when I tried get, getting into that, uh, it felt very much like that, except just with one character. Like I felt like there wasn't any strategy besides I have six abilities lined up. I cycle through them until their cooldown three set, and then I cycle through them again, and that's the game. Uh, yeah, I, I do see how that leads to uh, to them landing these Marvel. Like I don't want to. I haven't played either the Avengers game or the new Guardians of the Galaxy game, and I don't want to talk smack about them. But as I was playing Final Fantasy VII, I was like, oh, I could see how if you were making this, you could think, oh, it's so easy to make like a team-based action game. You just, you know, give every character a couple of special abilities and a signature attack, and then you can just toggle between them at will. All right. Well, now we've talked too much about video game RPG design stuff. We'll get into that maybe on the back half, but we need to get into other like real nerd stuff, specifically this super popular television show that we watch on a bi-weekly basis and, and critique and pull apart, and then at the end we recommend things that we actually like, and people seem to enjoy that part a lot better, but we just can't abandon the premise of the show. Not yet, not yet. Uh, so, Kyle, I am ready to give my pre-show, pre-synopsis review. Do you do you have uh, an idea loaded up of how you'd rate this one, or do you have any pre-synopsis business you want to get into? Uh, not, I will say I will rate it low, because Same. I was... I was I was bored most of it, but I don't. It, but we can talk about we can talk about that later. So give me your give me your uh, summary and your rating, please. Well, I, f- I front load the ratings, and I'm going three out of thirteen this time. I was on, I was thinking four because that's like a pretty low mediocre uh, rating. But then I think I was actively annoyed by how boring this one was, and it pushed down a notch. So that's where I am. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll just match you on that. I don't even care. This one, I am so apathetic about this episode. Not this podcast, dear listeners. I care about you a lot, <laughs> but this episode can you know. Yeah, if go, anything, you should admire die. us for uh, plying our absurd trade to even the the most dreary and boring of, of episodes that come across our 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 eyeballs. But yeah, let's get into this synopsis. Um, this is one that's kind of weird because it actually has a fair amount of stuff going on. But yeah, none of it is exciting or interesting. And so uh, this week's episode is Season 5, Episode 15, The Friendship Contraction. 
And it begins with Sheldon uh, busting into Leonard's room in the middle of the night or super early morning or whatever to do an emergency drill. And they're annoyed by it. Leonard is. And that's kind of the, the beginning of the episode. And it's fine. And then the next scene uh, after the initial credits is uh, all the bro nerds are hanging out in the cafeteria at the university. And uh, the, the, the B plot in this one is that uh, Wallowitz is getting prepped to go on his NASA mission. And he wants a cool NASA nickname. Uh, he keeps insisting that he can't nickname himself, but Raj after a few different uh, options, decides that he really wants to push for Wallowitz being called Rocket Man. Uh, he calls himself Brown Lightning. And so they kind of... No, Brown Dynamite. Brown Dynamite, sorry, yes. And so they go through the steps to make that happen. Meanwhile, uh, Leonard is so uh, overtired and annoyed by not getting any sleep from the emergency drill that when Sheldon uh, reminds him that he's supposed to give him a ride to the dentist... Uh, he goes, no, we're done. I can't do it. Sheldon kind of like forces a weird issue where instead of just being like, all oh, right, this is inconvenient. He's like, oh, are you trying to breach the friendship contract? And he invokes, I guess, an apparently like last resort escape clause, which is if you want out of the contract, it also involves suspending our friendship. And Leonard's like, yeah, I don't care. Whatever. Let's do that. Uh, and that's the meat of the episode. But... All that really happens is that Ra- not Raj, uh, Sheldon and Leonard are slightly colder to each other than normal. They're they're not even mean. They're not even as dismissive as you'd expect in, in most episodes. <laughs> they're just a little bit colder, and it kind of doesn't really go anywhere. Eventually, there's a situation where uh, that the power goes out. Uh, Penny comes over to the apartment to hang with Leonard and Sheldon for a little bit. And uh, she ends up luring Penny, so uh, Leonard back to her place with uh, prom- well, the promises of uh, candlelight and wine and makeouts and all that. And Sheldon interrupts and comes back, and the power comes on. It's revealed that Sheldon turned it off in the first place out of. I think this is kind of a stretch, but I think it is the only conclusion. He turned the power off because he wanted to force this interaction with Leonard to show that he really was like prepared for this kind of situation that he artificially created. Meanwhile, Leonard doesn't want to cave in and like get back into any sort of friendship agreement because, uh, in another thing that I thought was really weird, he's insisting that Sheldon admit his helplessness without him. And that's most of the episode the, the power comes on and they're like, all right, I guess we're not going to go back into the agreement, but we're still friends or whatever. And that's kind of the end of it. And then the, the stinger is uh, Wallowitz and Raj, their their final plan is uh, to get Wallowitz the name Rocket Man. Is, uh, Wallowitz is on a call with someone from NASA, an astronaut, and Raj calls him from his, his phone. He's just in the background. And uh, Wallowitz's uh, ringtone is the Elton John song Rocket Man. And the idea is, oh, if that plays, then the astronaut's going to hear it. And he's going to think, oh... Immediate association. This guy likes Rocket Man. The obvious name is Rocket Man. Uh, and so that plays. The astronaut is confused for a moment. Wallowitz mom yells up uh, that his Fruit Loops are getting soggy. And so the astronaut calls him Fruit Loops. The end. And so, yeah, like a lot of stuff happens. But at the same time, I don't know if it's fun. There's, there's no, like, there's no wacky situation that comes up. It's, it's kind of like 
almost drama dramedy. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Not, not even. Uh, well, first, first thing I want to just so we're tying. It's not a friendship contract. It's the roommate, oh, the roommate agreement. agreement. Yes, that sorry. they've had the roommate agreement that has reared its head multiple times over all of the inconvenient parts of it over the course of multiple seasons now. It was a little... I would argue it's a huge... Because there are times when Leonard has been much more fed up than he seems in this episode about certain terms of the roommate agreement where Sheldon has never revealed that there was just, like, a way out of the roommate agreement that would still let them be roommates but would not require them to, like, have this weird, like, servitor bondage thing. So it's like... Well, and also to clarify, so when this clause uh, requires the suspension of friendship, all that means is that neither has any contractual obligation to each other, but that's it. Like, they can still totally go on being friends, it's just no longer formalized, and so it is, you know, if they, they go on about being the same kind of friends they ever were, it doesn't really matter, and that's ultimately what happens, but... Well, I think that's Leonard's whole point, is that, like, we don't need this to be, like, a formalized thing anymore, we can just be friends, but... yeah. Uh, and I get why Sheldon's character is written in a way where he can't accept that, but they don't really explore it in the most interesting fashion. No, it's just so or funny or yeah, funny. If, if I were somehow directing or writing this episode, I think this premise would be good for like a real serious pivotal mid-season episode. Because this is something where, like you said, the the roommate agreement has reared its head multiple times, and it's kind of just like a running gag. And this is an episode that Wallowitz, not Wallowitz, uh, Leonard and Sheldon are kind of like uh, confronting like what their relationship fundamentally is, like how much of it is friendship and how much of it is agreement. Why does it all have to be formalized? What should what what does Sheldon get out of it? All these things, and for them to try to like have a deeper, like, hey, we are friends, we've been together a long time, we have a more intimate relationship than this silly old agreement requires, I think could have been, like, a cool moment to, like, remind us why these two people like each other at all, like, in the first place. And instead, yeah, it's... They're they're just fine with each other. It's, like you said, Leonard is not any more fed up than he has been in a lot of episodes. Like, he is at most inconvenienced. And that is the extent of the the, the trial he goes through. It's just he doesn't want to give Sheldon a ride one time. He says he's out. And then he goes on about his life without any sort of difference. And yeah, like you said, like, maybe that's, like, Leonard is, is the point he's making, but... It's not interesting. It doesn't. It didn't create any sort of conflict between anybody, really, that was significant. Well, not only that, it didn't really seem like there were jokes in this episode. Like no. there were very, like I just I wasn't paying. Just thinking about it, going back, like there weren't even that many moments where like the laugh track stops the show because it doesn't seem like there are that many points where they're even really going for like but humor. When you mention the laugh track, though, you just which again is a live audience. It's hard not to say laugh track, but when the lights go out and Sheldon's like, "Oh, we should use uh, glow sticks instead of candles because they're safer." 
Leonard gets out. Oh yeah, that is probably my. That is the one joke in this episode that I liked. I forgot about that. Oh, I I was bringing it up as a negative because he just gets the lightsaber out, and the crowd is like, "Oh, it's a lightsaber! I know what that is!" Yeah, and I hated that. But. Yes, yes, I know. You're too cool and edgy for this kind of stuff. I sure. liked it because that actually does, again, in the in the original premise of the show, which is supposed to be, like, jokes about nerds and how they solve problems, the, the power is out, so instead of a flashlight, I'm going to use my lightsaber. Pretty good. I guess not bad. Uh, like, also- I'm not saying it's perfect. It's, like, I basically I'm saying if there were about 50 more jokes like that per episode... You know, it would be a better <laughs> yes. show. Yeah, if if the jokes came at a clip and weren't like dirty puddles of water and a long sandy death march, uh, that would that would be preferable. Penny's fun in this episode. She she just shows up and she's like, "Hey, Leonard, we should definitely go back to my place and make out." And Leonard's like, "I don't. Aren't we in a weird place in our relationship?" And she's like, "Yeah, but I'm bored, so let's make out." And I'm like, "Penny, hell yeah, you get what you want. This is fine." <laughs> I mean, she's right. What else? You, it's a blackout. That's what you do. Yeah, yeah. We're in agreement. Um, Nothing to talk about there. Hey, uh, listeners, if anyone feels weird about this suggestion, get over it. Next time things get dark, just you know, find find someone to hold and put your yeah, mouths on you each don't, other. You don't have to talk about it after power is restored or civilization comes back. It's you know. It's yeah. just it, what happens during the power. What happens during the blackout stays during the blackout. That now it makes it sound like I'm enticing people to assault. I want to make it clear: consensual yeah. blackout makeout sessions so only. There, there's a point. This is like where we split into different ideologies entirely. Where we were in agreement 30 seconds ago, and then what the nature, uh, what, what we're trying to get away with in the dark, seemed to change there a little bit, Kyle. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I'm sorry. Um, so sh- this episode does sort of lay out, um, and this is actually, again, this is, like, this show does such a bad job so much of the time of establishing why Leonard and Sheldon are still friends that, yeah. like, by the point in this episode, nobody can justify it anymore. And it makes it sad because as they show, like, Sheldon literally can't do anything by himself. Oh, and Appar- Well, and on top of that, something I glossed over is when... Leonard shuts him down for not giving him a ride. He he goes to everyone else in the group and no one would help him with anything. And I guess it's tight to teach him a lesson, but it, it did hurt to see like all of his close friends being like, we, we really have no interest in just helping you with anything. We're sick of you. And then Sheldon at one point is so desperate that he goes to the comic book shop and tries to make nice with the owner, Stuart to get a ride and Stuart, in a weird, mean moment, is like, not only am I not going to do this, I want to make it clear that I don't want to do this. Like, I do not want to do this for you. And yeah, no one no one has any interest in, in helping helping little brother out, and it's a bummer. Yeah, it's, it is a little sad, um, even though, like, so just to cut, jump around, I thought, I mean, I do think that the detail that he's the one who caused the power outage is a nice touch, but... You know, I really thought that they were going to go somewhere where it was going to be like, or I don't know if I thought, but how would you feel? I was kind of hoping, and I feel like this would have been more interesting if, if the disaster, if Sheldon had actually demonstrated like competence and if he had had anything that they actually wanted during that like moment. Is that crazy? 
you know, if had they let Sheldon have the lightsaber moment, maybe things would have been different. If if he could be the one who, with his own nerdiness, was prepared, and instead, yeah, he he is not competent in the moment. He is the one who is over prepared, but then he's back at the apartment, failing to make s'mores, and ends up dumping a flaming marshmallow in a cup of distilled urine water. <laughs> yeah, it's he. He doesn't get it together. That's. But- the show's not nice to Sheldon ever. I, ever. I I almost like I almost wish it had been like a bigger natural disaster, so that like I don't. It's basically I was you know it, it would be tonally out of character for the show, but at this point because they've they've knocked down Sheldon so much, it would be kind of fun for an actual situation where he could show his competency. I'm thinking something a little bit. Weird reference, but a little bit like the, the, I'm, you know, we should start talking about the movies that we talk about all the time so we can put them on like some sort of like Big Bang Theory Theory best of the best list. Something about like you're next where it just turns out that the one lady is, is like yeah. weirdly and conspicuously overprepared for the situation that has come happening to them. Like if, you know, if it, any. It should have been season five cliffhanger building collapses. You, we think the apocalypse is coming. Everyone, Sheldon, uh, for most of the episode, is annoying everyone because he knows the big one is coming. And people are joking and dismissive and they're like, oh, you know, he's like a dog in that way. He thinks he knows it 30 minutes before everybody else. And then it happens. And then blackout. Oh, my God. That's the end of the season. What's happening? Are, oh, you're not even concerned about whether they're going to get back together anymore. You're going to be worried about whether their bodies are, are still together. And season six opens. It's a nightmare or something, but I don't know. Who cares? But yeah, you get you get that one episode, maybe an extended episode of of Sheldon being the one who can survive the wasteland. Yeah, I like. I mean, okay. Now we're just describing a different. So just because I feel like we've run out of things to talk about in this episode, there's a there's a pretty famous uh, and popular manga. I think it's called like I Am the Hero or something like that. Which is uh, I maybe I haven't actually read a lot of it. So I may be wildly mischaracterizing it, but as far as I can figure out from like looking at the back covers and stuff, it's basically about, you know, like this Japanese shut-in type, you know, who is, you know, just like, you know, like the weird, basically it's you. Okay. Or Wait me. A second. Uh, you know, somebody Am I about to find out I'm a hero. Well, it's just someone like that who spends all of their time inside and, uh, and, you know, plays too many video games or whatever, and, you know, is bad with women, and, you know, he has a job, but everybody's job is like, well, this guy's, this guy's a little nuts, right? And he's, you know, he needs to shower more. He's dressing down of me, but continue. You know, he never showers, and he's starting to smell weird. Do we tell him? Anyway, long story short, zombie apocalypse happens, and it just turns out that, like, this guy's, like, hyper antisocial, trust no one instincts, uh, like, or actually, I'm not even sure if it's related to that, but it basically turns out that his superpower is killing zombies. Like, he's just really good at it compared to a lot of other people. So he manages to, like, you know, his whole apartment complex becomes dependent on him because he's the best person for going out and shooting all the zombies in the head and bringing back supplies and keeping them safe from bandits. And I'd like that arc for Sheldon. What if this whole show suddenly pivoted, like you said, and it turned out that all of the weird stuff that makes Sheldon absolutely unlikable was just leading towards the moment when the walking dead are at the door and that's like 
this is and Sheldon is just like I'm from Texas, bitches, and he just you know he has like a crossbow under the bed, uh, you know, and a machine that he's he's built a robot that you know only speaks in dated like Star Trek references, but is super good at dissecting zombie brains. Well, and to get a little, maybe the show where to get a little too real, and I'll get a little over <laughs> Sherry for a half moment about how uh, I was I was recently talking with my therapist about how I'm like, you know, I think in a real disaster situation. I would be useful because uh, I'm kind of numb to that initial freak out that most people have in a disaster. <laughs> and I feel like uh, that is where my own superpower would come in. And so I guess I am like this this anime boy. Uh, so you got the melancholia? I've got the melancholia, yeah. I just, you know, everything goes to shit. And I'm like, oh, hey, you're all welcome to another day in my world. Let's go get resources. I'm really good at farming. But not the kind of farming you're thinking of. Keck, 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 keck. <laughs> God, I feel like I just hit, committed a hate crime against myself by saying keck. Ugh. Anyway. <laughs> that's, keck is so old now. It's like, in internet years, that's like... You know, that's like, you're the man now, dog. It's fine. No one oh even knows God. anymore. That's, this is, I mean, I, I, I was going to say this is too grim for him to bring up, but I'm always just stopping the show with dark, sad stuff. But uh, did you hear that Lotax, founder of Something Awful, died the other day? Yes. I I don't think I know a single thing about Something Awful, so. Oh, well, no, no need to elaborate on the man, but I will say that, like, Something Awful is... It's 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 nuts to hear that you're not really familiar with it now, even though there's only like a few years apart in our age. Because for I'm me, sh- I'm sure there's things that like filtered. I'm sure if you name some popular memes, no, or that, videos that's exactly or what I was about to say. Is like there are like a billion things that I think could be named that like would have come from something off. It was like so, in my eyes, foundational in like a lot of internet culture, including, like, a lot of garbage that it just... It, it started a lot of good and bad. But, yeah, just the strange thing that... Uh, to remember that that was a human person responsible for that and that they are mortal in spite of us now living in an endless era of angry memes. Thanks, something awful for starting that. Blah. Anyway... Anything else about this boring ass episode, or do we want to like start talking about stuff we enjoy? No, I got this episode really sucked. Oh, I remember one thing I did like, uh, just a one liner. Wallowitz is is telling the group about the training he's going to do for his space mission, and Bernadette says he's going to learn how to poop in a space, and she seems kind of into it. And uh, I interpreted that okay. Well, go ahead. No, interpret it however you say, were like. That was it. She may have been disgusted by it, and I wanted to read it that way because that's how I wanted her to be. Good well, to I, that. That's me. I, I specifically interpreted it as she's like that was the I again I could be completely over reading, but last I remember like they had been having they had been talking about it at all. She was mad that Wallowitz was going into space, and she didn't want him to do it. And so I thought like the way she said that line was like her was like supposed to be like, I'm still mad about this whole situation and think it's stupid, but maybe you're right. Maybe she was excited. Mm. Kyle, I think your interpretation is not only possible, but probably more likely than my own. I just want to think that Bernadette has a weird thing for space poop. That's, that's all. <laughs> that's, I, that's all I have, but well, yeah, it is weird that this, uh, just like it, this episode is, was more guilty than even a lot of them of like having a scene where all of the actors are together and then, like, 
they're just not in the rest. So that was the only scene with Bernadette and the only scene with Amy in the whole episode. Like, they were there yeah. for a total he of two minutes. Each contributes, like, a line or two, but is otherwise in the background. Although it did, uh, it did have that, um, because when Sheldon asks Amy to, you know, help him with all of his chores, she's like, I can't help you with that. And Penny goes, that's not what girlfriends are for, Sheldon. Although you don't use a girlfriend for what a girlfriend's for, so I don't know. Yeah, and there is a long, embarrassing moment there, which was nice. Uh, yeah, everybody looks at everyone else like, she's talking about sex. Yeah, poor, poor Amy. Someone's really gotta rough her up sometime soon, but... We'll see if that ever happens. Well, let's talk about things we enjoy then. It's our it's our bi-weekly nerdy recommendation time. Woo! Party music. It's like New Year's Eve, except we, we enjoy it and we have fun bum, things bum, to bum, do at the end of it. I've got one loaded up this week, unless you go ahead to start. All right. So I, I heard about this show just because someone on a podcast made one offhand reference to it. And they're like, no, it's good. You should watch it. And then I saw it on Netflix and it it is good. I'm glad I watched it. Uh, It's Netflix animated series called Inside Job. And I hadn't heard about it aside from this, like I said, one offhand reference but I got into it, ended up loving it. I've completed the first season. That's all there is so far. Uh, it's a short 10-episode, uh, I guess, almost like limited series uh, animation show. And it gives me, like, real strong Futurama vibes, even though I think there's no one involved from Futurama in it. The, the person who uh, created it, I'm not sure how to pronounce their first name. It, it looks like Shayan uh, Takeuchi. No idea who they are. But uh, I'm a fan of theirs now. But then the premise of the show is that there is indeed a deep state shadow government. And we we have a, a wacky crew of characters who work there. And we got to follow their adventures. Uh, the, the main character, uh, her name is uh, Reagan uh, Rand. She is a uh, daughter of... Uh, oh, maybe Reagan Rand. Well, anyway, uh, It says Reagan Ridley. On Reagan the Ridley. Page. And her dad is Rand Ridley. Yes. And, uh, yeah, they work for the deep state. Her dad was the former, like, CEO or one of the, the big head honchos, but he went off to be a, a drunk conspiracy theory just for fun peddling wacko. Uh, and then Reagan is moving up in the company, but uh, she's basically a mad genius and has no people skills. And so she uh, has a co-leader appointed to work with her who is a corporate yes-man who just wants everyone to like him, and so they try to balance each other out. And I I don't want to say too much more about it because I don't want to, like, spoil anything, but uh, it's just a lot of fun. Uh, it's got really great voice actors. It's got, like, really fast-paced jokes. Like, unlike the episode of television we watched today, like, it really has, like, a pow-pow-pow-pow-pow joke structure that you can consistently really rely on for goofs. Yeah, it's it was an un, uh, an unexpected delight. Uh, main character is voiced by Lizzie Kaplan. It's nice that she's an anim- in an animated role, so I'm not distracted by her being the most attractive person on earth. Who's Lizzie uh, Kaplan? Uh, did you ever watch Party Down? Oh no, but you talk about it like once a week. So yeah, well, because it's a great show. What else? Uh, she's been in 
different like Judd Apatow, Paul Feig things. But anyway, if you look her up, you'll probably get mad because you'll be like, oh, God, why did you make something so perfect? I hate this. Ah, or that's how I feel about it. But <laughs> and then um, her dad is played by Christian Slater, which uh, surprised to see him. But he also does great. And yeah, like I said, I, I won't say anything more. It's on Netflix. It's called Inside Job. It's a hoot, and I recommend it. Kyle, your turn. Uh, I just wanted to say uh, I haven't watched any of this show, but now I'm going to watch it from your... It's by the same person who created Gravity Falls, which I also didn't watch, but I remember was like a huge, huge, big thing that I, I remember I loved. hearing about how great it was, and I also never watched it, yeah. Well, we'll be able I mean, to, that, we'll be able to try that, that was next. a kid's show, so it's always it's nice that some of these people who made these really good kid shows are now writing writing edgy, mature, gritty stuff for us adults. Yeah, and you I guess know, that's, I didn't fulfilling say fulfilling the medium's <laughs> potential. Yeah, this is definitely not a kid's show. It's there. There's a lot of swears. There's a lot of violence. There's some sexual situations, so be wary if that's not your thing. But yeah, it rules. So I mean, there's no way it's as it's as edgy and perfect as a good episode of Rick and Morty. But I will. <laughs> you know, it's. I think the animation of that. I think about it has some like kind of Rick and Morty comparisons, and also the the Futurama comparisons. And I think come in large part be that the. Uh, the the nice yes man I think looks a little bit too much like Fry. I, I doubt it's intentional, but they. Well, that's there's only like one. I mean, not to criticize, but there's only like one major. Most Western animation tends to look pretty similar to each other because there's only like one major animation like college in the United States where they teach this stuff. So like everybody, or like there are all sorts of art schools, but almost everybody who like ends up working on TV shows goes through the same pipeline. So there's like a house style that they all kind of look. So that's why like you know uh, what's the show I'm thinking of? Um, the one that started it all. Oh, Adventure Time. Adventure Time looks like Steven Universe. Looks like Gravity Falls. Looks like I presume this kind of looks, which also looks like rick and morty i feel like i wasn't ready to have this part of the world's curtain pulled back for me to see i need a moment to just recover there's nothing wrong with it the the creative energies and the creative the writing between the the voices and energy of those shows can all be very different but the aesthetic style tends to work a little similarly from show to show because the production methods tend to be consolidated uh, Uh, in how they're taught speaking of aesthetic styles this is something that i think had a very different aesthetic style I did watch um, all of Invincible recently. Ah, finally. And I loved it. Yay! And I thought the animation was ass ugly and something that I really had to, like, get over to enjoy it. Ah, that's, I mean, (laughs) interesting. And I don't mean the art style. I I mean, like, specifically, like, the animation looked very, like, cheap to me. But... (laughs) I did love it. So, uh, in the end, I, I, it was it's an incredibly insignificant complaint. Kyle. Think, Mark. Think. Tell me your thing. Tell me your thing. Come on. Uh, well, I'm embarrassed because it is true. It's been what I've been spending most of my time on. And it is a great nerd artifact. But it's just such a... It's like recommending The Simpsons or something at this point. Oh, I'm I, excited. I am going to recommend... I've been re-watching after, you know, a long... Uh, hiatus, I, w- I decided to go back and rewatch uh, the 2004's Battlestar Galactica. Ooh, okay. I'm excited about this now. That's one that, that I think was one of the only TV shows, definitely the only sci fi show that I was like 
engaged with as it was coming out. I think it's like the last moment where I was like, I'm participating in culture. Yeah, it was, it was, it was right before what we now think of it. Well, I don't know. I don't know where we draw the line on the golden age of television. I always think like Mad Men and Breaking Bad being out at the same time is sort of like, um, is sort of like when we hit peak TV in terms of like the quality of TV writing. But, uh, and this is like just a few years before that, but it is around the, I think it's around the same time Lost came out. So it was definitely like a time when the production studios were suddenly introduced, were, were interested in telling more like long form, uh, storytelling with a higher quality of characterization and writing than had previously been something that anyone was interested in on network television. You said like HBO had been doing this for a while, but like, the idea yeah. that you could, the idea that like sci-fi, I mean, and of all things, Battlestar Galactica. So, just to take us back to the beginning of the story, in 1977, Star Wars came out, made a billion dollars, and so the people were like, "Well, every everybody was scrambling to have their own Star Wars, including a bunch of different TV state networks." And so, one of them decided that they were going to make what many people felt was a fairly uh, straightforward Star Wars ripoff, which was a show called. Right down to the fact that a lot of people who did the special effects originally worked for Lucasfilm. And so they made, in 1978, they made a show called Battlestar Galactica, which is about a bunch of people on a, on spaceships who are fighting slash running away from an army of killer robots called Cylons because they are Cyclops robots who only have one glowing eye. And they, it's campy. Yeah, it's back and forth menacingly. Yeah. It's campy. It's, uh, it was cheesy, it was, inc- it was incredibly popular, apparently, I don't know, I wasn't alive, but it was also, uh, incredibly expensive to make, in terms of the design and the costumes and everything, so after one season it was cancelled, but it still, it, it still, you know, in the way that nerds do things, it became part of the nerd canon, and something that many people were fond of. So much, much later, after many failed attempts to sort of bring the show back in various forms, for whatever reason, in 2004, Ronald D. Moore, who had been previously worked on all of the Star Trek shows and made his fame writing some very good episodes of The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, decided that he was going to go to sci-fi and create a... It was originally just a miniseries that was basically a pilot for a show, a reboot of Battlestar Galactica that tells the same story, but in a very grounded, hard, sci-fi just way. And it is, I think it maintains, it is some of the best television you will ever, ever watch. So it starts out, first episode, which again is like part of a two-hour pilot, you know, everybody is on these... Basically, it's not set on Earth, it's set on a bunch of uh, planets that are basically like Earth, but, yeah. you know, there are multiple planets, and it's they... Like, it's like a ring of planets that are... Yeah, kind of it's like... a, yeah, it's a ring of planets that are still a thinly veiled metaphor for the United States. Yes. <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of their political structure, and also the, the, the political and economic problems that are, are alluded to throughout the course of the show, you know, religious fundamentalists, uh, class warfare, things like that. The, the two things that make it different other than the fact that it is, uh, set in a different ring of planets is that these planets, um, have space, 
have faster than life technology and spaceships, and yet they do not have advanced computer technology because the last time they invented advanced tech computers, it led to a Terminator slash Skynet type scenario that almost killed them all. That's the Cylons. They beat the Cylons. And so at the start of the show, it has been like 50 to 100 years since the Cylons were defeated in the big... So I don't think it's a hundred. It's been like because there are people who were alive, but it's been like yeah. at uh, least a generation. It's it's a thing of the past. Cylons are gone. Yeah. So, but otherwise, it's like two thousand four, but in space. Only there's no internet, and then the Cylons come back and kill everybody. And that is really, I mean, it really is shocking because there's there are like shows that came out later that you know, like The Walking Dead, that also did like all of humanity is dying thing, but they always like jump over it. In Battlestar Galactica, you actually watch the nukes, like, falling onto the planet, and you hear, like, the screams of the dying coming over the radio as they're, like, begging, you know, (laughs) begging God to save them, and, like, you have all the people on the... I mean, so, again, this was right after 9-11, so I feel like that was just in the air. A lot of people have pointed out that, like, a lot of the stuff in Battlestar Galactica is, well, not... uh, one for one it it is un, it is emotionally connected to our feelings about the war on terror at the time and so like there are these scenes where you watch people like just asking like hey my family member was here my family member's here doesn't matter they're all dead so this is how the show starts mm-hmm. you have you have this ragtag there's only you know there's only one like space battleship that survived the initial ambush there's a bunch of ragtag ships that were flying between planets that survived. They are now, like, linked up with this one ship, and they are on a runaway quest where they are constantly in an existential battle for survival against a technologically and militarily overwhelming force of killer robots that are run by a cabal, and this is where it gets, like, super weird and paranoid. This was the main change that they made to the lore. The the leaders of the Cylons look like people and can infiltrate humanity. So in addition to all of like the, you know, we've been attacked by weird outsiders who are intent on wiping us out thing. There's also the paranoia of like anyone you work with could be one of these crazy people. And of course they're all religious fundamental. The Cylon, the killer robots are religious fundamentalists who believe in God. So it's just weird. It's a weird yeah. show. It Describing it, you wouldn't think that it would work. But not only does it work, it works very well. I think a lot of it has to do with just the strength and quality, both of the writing and the commitment to, like, a very, like, particular tone and lore for the show. And then, of course, all of the actors, every single fucking actor on that show is phenomenal. And for almost all of them, it either, like... Uh, either they were actors who had sort of like been on the downside of their career and it was sort of like, it's sort of like their swan song or like it launched their career. And like Katie Sackhoff, basically, I don't know what she was doing before Battlestar Galactica. It doesn't she matter played... what she was doing before Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> yeah, she's actually in the Big Bang. I think we've talked about this before. She appears in episodes of the Big Bang Theory as like a sex symbol. Yes. And that that's because she is like the hard bitten, like badass rogue fighter pilot. In Battlestar Galactica, and then of course, uh, oh God, what's his name? The the guy who played the school teacher before this movie, he was most famous for being the school teacher in oh, that one. Stand and deliver, Edward James almost. Oh, yes, yeah, he's fantastic. Edward James almost is this incredibly hard bitten, like uh, 
you know, veteran military officer who just finds himself as the last man standing in the chain of command. So now he's responsible for the fate of humanity. And he is just fantastic. Uh, everybody's fantastic. It's a great show. It is very, it isn't, this is what I keep coming back to. It is in many ways darker than a lot of shows that tout themselves as dark now, because I think it was like, while there's stuff that happens on television shows today, that's worse than the stuff that happens in Battlestar Galactica. This, when bad shit happens in Battlestar Galactica, they really lean into the um, the real emotional wavelength on which people are processing the shit that is happening. So, like, when people are getting, like, murdered or tortured or whatever, it's like, oh, this feels like something that is really happening to these people, and it's very uncomfortable to watch. And if I remember correctly, like, the weight of each life is uh, really... <laughs> it's... You, they keep a, a body count of remaining humans in no yeah, existence. There's only like there's only lower. slight right. There's only like fifty four thousand, and they do. They start like there were basically like six hundred million to like a billion people in the universe, and now we're down to the last fifty thousand humans. And you watch like on a chalkboard, like every time someone dies, they take the number down, and people die almost every episode because it's a fucking war. It's just. It's really, and that's the other thing that, I mean, this show was obvious, again, not to get into all of the comparisons, because I've talked forever now, but this show was, like, created basically in response to Star Trek, because it was, it was basically, like, created by a veteran Star Trek writer who wanted to write a show that was, like, very sci-fi, but very not, like, the pop, the science optimist Star Trek, and so a lot of the, like, the tropes it plays with are like it's basically it's just doing things that happen in Star Trek, but coming up with like the opposite answers, the less hopeful, uh, less optimistic answers than the ones that uh, Star Trek gives you, and a lot of that just happens to do in its portrayal of like uh, the the fleet and the military and just like the day to day grind of being like you know a a military officer. Like it always feels like. Every episode just revolves around people doing work, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you know, looking at clipboards and and doing calculations and relaying information by phone up and down the ship, or like crawling under the the like fighter pilots, like in their you know in their like tank tops and getting covered in grease, and it all really feels like people are just working themselves to a state of exhaustion, just trying to survive. Well, and. Just because you mentioned the word military, there's also this element of trying to maintain some sort of like veneer of a democracy, <laughs> like the like so much of yeah the the what is obviously based on the United States chain of command uh, is is taken out in the attack, and what is it? Secretary of Education is now yeah the president of the galaxy or whatever. So that would be I don't know the current, but that would be like if Betsy DeVos had become president. Yeah. And, um, but it immediately creates questions of like the, the only real shot of survival for humanity is this military vessel. To what extent do we give any regard to the traditional political process when we're like literally fighting for survival? Yeah, they go some really real shit with, so like in the episode that I, I'm, I'm about halfway through the show now. 
and loving every minute of it, but they just, they ask questions that I feel like we don't have the balls to, and I don't mean this in like an edgy way. Well, I'll tell you the, so I just watched an episode where the president, where basically someone wants to have an abortion on board the Galactica and it's a problem because like the ship she comes from have a bunch of people on it whose culture is basically religious fundamentalist and they don't believe in abortion. And so, and so the president is like ultra liberal and she's like, well, of course, this girl should be allowed to have an abortion. But then the commander is like, well, now hold on. Technically, technically we're in an existential fight for our lives and, and we're down to our last 50,000 people. And the only way we're going to replace the people we've lost is if, uh, is if people start having more babies. Are we sure? So it like it's like they're, they they actually like they have an episode where the president is like I'm sorry but the survival of the human species means that the civil liberties that we take for granted and also like I'm going to say the word abortion I'm making abortion illegal because it turns out like the killer robots are killing us too fast and we have to have more babies even if it's even if it means some women are going to have to carry children to term that they didn't originally want that's like an amazing weird uncomfortable but like totally fair game thing to have that you just feel like they couldn't like in we've just in the few years since that show came out there would be no way to have an episode like that on tv today oh yeah it would not work out it would uh, uh roughly 40 percent of american society would start fires over <laughs> such a thing being portrayed on widespread television also totally just random fact i happen to know so this came out about the time I was finishing undergrad and or maybe like just after undergrad. But at that time, everyone uh, watching it was totally into Cutie Patootie Callie, one of the fun little engineers on board the Galactica. She is uh, very cute. Well, she also is uh, was later one of the people in the Nexium sex cult and is. Oh, now, no. And is now one of the cult's ongoing defenders who's like. It was all a misunderstanding. Let so she was, she was branding people, is what you're telling me. I don't know the extent of her involvement, but she, she is someone who is like part of a group of other former Nexium members who are trying to set the record straight on what actually happened there. So, uh, Hollywood, it's bananas, everybody. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, I, wow. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, to, I will second this recommendation, but I should go back and watch it again myself. But it's... Yeah, it was like the first time I was drawn into like a TV event, and uh, it's fantastic. Uh, there are <laughs> a lot of criticisms I could raise uh, as the show goes on, but it is yeah, it's definitely not a perfect show. That is yeah. that is it is not actually again like there's a reason like compared to like Mad Men or Breaking Bad, it is not as flawless or well-written a yeah. show but well, for a sh- but for a show that comes from such a bonkers premise i really think they knocked it out of the park yeah it is like it is kind of like a different class of show but if you like, if you were to watch all of this and process it and then it, or maybe not hypothetical if i were to have seen all of this and at the end of it someone were to come and say did you know that that was a sci-fi original I would shit myself. I would just like immediately no thought like that's not a reality I can accept. That the yeah, sci-fi channel actually once tried to make something good and real and did it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's they went from making stuff like that to stuff like Killjoys, which is also a show that I like. I like Killjoys perfectly fine, but it's a very different like it's it's just it's like th- 
Yeah, sorry, I'm babbling. But there's basically no show on Sci-Fi Today, or really on any channel that tries to do... There's, uh, I guess the closest thing would be The Expanse, but I feel like even The Expanse, you know, plays it a little closer to the vest in terms of, like, it's mostly about the politics. Like, it would never get into, like, the weird quasi-spiritual questions that, like, uh, you know, Battlestar Galactica regularly was like, we're just going to talk about whether it's okay for the leader of the for the president of the remaining surviving people to, like, base her policy off of religious visions she thinks she's having. Yeah. Yeah, that's a whole other element. There's just so many competing interests, and it's it's fun. I mean, now I'm contributing to the babbling, but, you know, to see, all, see like, so many different various factions of society condensed in having to live on a ship, <laughs> or, like, a, a small handful of ships. It's it's a little silly sometimes in the comparisons to real life issues, but it does. I don't know. It kicks ass. I I need to go back. Um, everyone watch BSG. Forget what I said about Inside Job. <laughs> it's that show's cool or whatever, but y- you need to watch sexy robots destroy humanity. Oh my god, that's the that's the other thing, and I feel like they become aware of this because they eventually sort of stop it. And they lampshade how they stop it, too. But, like, for the first season and a half of that show, like, all of the craziest, most batshit dialogue is portrayed by the lady who plays, like, the sexy blonde Cylon. And she has to deliver these incredibly complicated line readings about, like, destiny and fate. And she all has to do it while never being allowed to wear regular clothes that any human being would ever reasonably wear. Yeah, isn't it always some, like, super sexy variation of a red dress? It's either a red dress or a bathing suit or she is just, or she's naked and covering herself with, like, some random piece of fabric. I mean, I'm gonna say that ever since, or we're looking show, at, or we're looking at her butt. It's just like she is always in some state of barely clothed. Yeah, she's always in horny mode, and all of the Cylons. Well, not all the Cylons, but I think all of all of the female Cylons are are babes, and they find reasons to get them naked. <laughs> so, uh, I, even though I mean, one of those Cylons is Lucy Lawless, and let me tell you, oh, that good grief, yeah, if like. <laughs> Watching that show, I liked. I Lucy Lawless was no longer in my consciousness, and ah, Jesus Christ! It's weird because it's like I've now watched her. I've I remember in Xena, she was incredibly hot. Then you watch Battlestar Galactica, which is like a full ten years later, still incredibly hot. Then I watched Ash versus the Walking Dead, which was only like four years ago. She. Lucy Lawless has made some kind... She and Keanu Reeves and Paul Rudd are all part of the same... Like, whatever... baby. <laughs> like, whatever the Nexium cult was failing to do, they succeeded at. Also, because she's Australian, you just reminded me of a tweet I saw last night that I wanted to send you because you were one of the few people I, I know in real life that I thought would understand it. And it was just this, Oi, mate, my name's Moon Noit. That's it. That's all. <laughs> Those are the kind of laughs I had last night, and I'm glad I could share that with you. Also, that was an intentional way to try to derail us off of BSG and wrap up this episode, because we went went from like, oh man, this episode totally stinks, what are we going to do, to just like gushing about this old sci-fi show that that does kick ass, so go watch it. And any final words, any parting wisdom you want to leave the audience with this this bye week? Here's mine. Be as loud as you like when you kiss. Okay? Hey. You know, sometimes it's kind of gross, going to be honest, but 
Those moments of passion, you gotta take advantage of them when they happen. Go, go ahead and, if you get away with as many loud mouth noises as your partner is, is willing to withstand, it's, that's what, that's what those times are for.